Well, hey there, and welcome back to the Will and Rob Show. It's great to be back. Oh, wait, are you supposed to be leading in? I thought I was going to be leading it in. Oh, I'm so sorry. You go ahead. You lead us in. I didn't get the memo. I'm sorry. You did it last time, and there's supposed to be a measure of sharing here. I apologize. I I like this. I, I like being able to introduce people. I So when I first moved to Grace, I wanted to be on the uh, welcoming committee. Um, no one got back to me, which I don't know what that's supposed to mean. I hope my email just got lost in a shuffle. Ouch. I know. I know. But I think it's great. So if you wouldn't mind giving me the opportunity, because it's been a hiatus and I feel like this is kind of a special thing. Yes, you take it. You're, it's all you. I, I need this. I need okay. This you have it. Okay. You have it. All right. Well, hello and welcome back to the Will and Rob show. It is great to be with you after a brief uh, hiatus, a two week uh, hiatus away. Um, but we are really glad to be back to discuss and talk about things. Um, Sorry for not letting y'all know that we were going to be away, but uh, we're back. Here we are. So apology given, hopefully forgiveness is is reciprocated. And so uh, we appreciate it. But uh, my name is Will Stockdale. I am a ministry associate with Ministry to State, a ministry of the PCA here in Washington, D.C., uh, seeking to serve men and women working in government um, through discipleship and pastoral care and Bible studies and devotionals and things like this. Uh, here, as always, with my very good friend, colleague, esteemed colleague, uh, ministry associate, Robert right. Hassler. Uh, Robert, it's great to be back with you. How have you been? We've talked, but other people haven't heard from you. And so do you have any updates or things to share with people? I know you're on your own right now. Your yeah. Wife my wife left town. me for eight days. That's, that's what happened. That's what's happened in my life over the last two weeks. Um, no, my, my but, and, 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 and you got cats in the meantime. So yes. I, mean, I don't know how that happened. Um, I've, I've gone from married man with two kids to kind of like a crazy cat dad in just the span of short, uh, two short weeks, but here I am. Um, well, when we were talking earlier, uh, I had forgotten that you had cats and I heard you go, Hey, get out of there. <laughs> and I was like, I've never heard James. I've never heard Robert talk to his kids that way. Yeah, that's, off air, that's how I talk to my children. <laughs> it was the cats. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Get out of there. Hey. Um, no, so it's been, it's been good. Um, obviously I miss my family a lot, but, uh, it's, it's been really good to, um, have just sort of a short vacation, particularly, uh, after a long semester of school for both my wife and I, my wife is also in grad school. Um, and so she had a quick break before she starts her studies again and same with me. So she actually went, uh, back to visit her family. Uh, and so that the James, my, my oldest could hang out with his cousins, which is always a good time for them. Um, and then I got to stay home, have the house to myself with the cats, um, and do some homework and things like that. So it's been a good break. Uh, obviously had a great Memorial day, um, and a Memorial day weekend, uh, and had the just unique pleasure of, uh, the distinct pleasure of being able to meet some of our biggest fans, the Stockdale family. It was great. Oh. It was great meeting your family. So much fun. Yeah, you know, um, my dad gave somewhat of a, of a ranking highlight. He would say in no particular order of his time in D.C., but I, I think you, uh, the Library of Congress and Grace Downtown Worship probably came above me in the list. So I'm probably coming in at fourth place at best in this showing, but that pleased me. He was uh, very excited to meet you, and I know my mom and dad, my mom and uh, 
older sister, we're also really glad to meet you. And so thanks for making time for that. It was really fun getting to hang out. It was, talk. it was a good time there. I was absolutely dying. Your dad's got some great dad jokes. I was absolutely dying. Oh man. I wish people could have been there to see it, but uh, there was a family behind us at the history of Nat- natural history museum and his family's going to take a picture and the mom's gonna take a picture. And so she was going to be out of it. And my mom saw that and she gets up and says, Hey, would you like to take the, me to take the picture for you? And like, Oh, what yes, a wonderful woman. That's such so a great, that's such a wonderful thing. And so she gets up and my dad looks and says, honey, honey, don't ask for money this time. <laughs> and so um, it was pretty good. It was, it was a pretty good moment, but I got, I'm glad that, and also, you know, you mentioned cousins. I just want to go back to that. I don't know what it is, but like, there was something that was so magical, unique, fun about hanging out with your cousin. I don't know, like totally understood, but like when I hang out, hung out with my cousin, like I, I was so proud of that. First yes. of all, because I looked up to my cousins a lot, like my older cousin, Ellis, so much, Brad, but like hanging out with them was like a super big deal. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Like growing up, like in my family, because we don't, we don't have, a, I don't have a ton of cousins. Um, uh, and so cousins were really more like brother, sister relationships than they were like kind of distant cousins. And then Kirsten's family, I mean, she has a ton of cousins, but she's very close with all of her cousins, which is really cool. Um, to see. And we've, even though we live kind of on the other side of the country from uh, James's cousins, uh, we do try to do as much as we can to make and make an effort to make sure that James and Bobby will still have that same kind of relationship that, you know, I have such fond memories of, and I know Kirsten does too. Um, so I, I, it was really fun when they landed, I, I got pictures um, and, you know, he's got uh, one boy cousin uh, who we, uh, uh, who's really funny. Um, just a couple, I think just a a year or so older than him. Um, and I just immediately started getting videos of them playing wiffle ball in the backyard. So I was like, good, they're doing what boys ought to do, which is just like go wreak havoc in the, in the outside. Oh man. They get together. What a wiffle ball. What a great game. <laughs> you never grow out of that. For sure. Um, but yeah, so yeah. So parents are still here. They're about to fly out today, uh, head back to Texas. And so um, as we're, as we're back in the saddle here, uh, there's a couple of things we want to talk about. Um, uh, one we'll get to a little later is this, this topic of how should Christians think about the, the, the issue of rights. And so, uh, what, it, what are our rights? How should we think about them? What's their role? Um, should we be willing to surrender them? Um, and if so, under what conditions and how do we make those decisions? We'll probably be able to answer all those questions, but we'll, we'll at least talk a little bit about maybe some more anecdotal, uh, uh, um, areas. And then, and then the other is first is, uh, what today is we're recording this on June 1st, um, which is the first day of pride month, um, which, uh, you know, it's one of those areas where we want to be respectful again, as we've mentioned before on this show of our friends who are SSA, same sex attracted, who are seeking to live faithfully. And so we want to honor that support that, um, we, we value them and are so thankful for them and the model that, that they are to serving Jesus. And then we also want to call out where sin is high handed as well. And where there is a, a lifestyle and approach that is so counter to the gospel and Christianity um, and what should Christians do in response to this? I think um, for many of us living in the city, uh, there are certain sins that we feel very comfortable calling out and other sins that we don't feel as comfortable calling out or talking about. And um, 
we we don't get that option as Christians. Um, I think uh, I think of the word used for Jesus of him having such deep guttural compassion um, when he looked on people who were suffering in sin. And I think for us as Christians, it, it is hard. It takes a lot of spiritual growth and maturity that I know I need, but to look at sin in such a way that we have compassion, but also conviction, uh, boy, I feel like we just, I just stole a line from the and campaign, compassion <laughs> and conviction. Sorry, Michael, Ware. Uh, <laughs> uh copyright, uh, understood, understood. Um, but we need both of those things and to be able to confidently and persuasively call those things out for what they are. And, um, you know, I even heard my pastor one time say, you know, he's noticed a lot of people that are very confident issuing, calling for a racial justice are not as comfortable calling for a sexual ethic as well, mm. a Christian sexual ethic. Uh, and, and I think just we'll get there. I want to hear, I know you read a piece, you got a lot of thoughts on this, but if we don't see the two as connected here, if we, there's, there's a common ideology, which is one high handedness against God, whether it's uh, white supremacy, racism, or uh, a pro LGBTQ lifestyle. That is, um, I get to choose my sexual ethic. Uh, who I am in the world is how I have identified myself. Those are very similar things. They are disregard of God's revelation and a pushing forth of um, of my view of what it means to be a human person. And uh, both of those have to be called out because they're both dehumanizing and an affront to God ultimately, which should be the number one thing we're seeking to condemn. But it's a long-winded introduction, Robert. You had mentioned a, a Carl Truman piece that had been written in World Magazine in their uh, commentary section, but just to uh, kick it over to you real fast, and what are some things you're thinking, seeing, and considering right now? Yeah, you know, uh, um, uh, I woke up this morning, and obviously I knew it was Pride Month, the start of Pride Month, because if you go onto your Apple calendar or um, your uh, iCalendar on your phone, it's the banner on June 1st. And um, at least I could not figure out how to delete it. Um, there is there is no way to, to get it off your phone. Um, and so the there's a sort of um, suffocation that comes with that, I think, uh, that I didn't really feel as much um, in sort of previous Pride Months uh, that I've increasingly felt, and, and even more so today, um, if you drive through um, Washington, D.C., um, uh, particularly since the new administration, I remember last June, um, uh, things that I had not seen before, like massive uh, rainbow flags flying from places like the Secretary, you know, the Department of the Treasury, uh, just, just this sort of um, kind of sense that uh, it's it, it's spreading. Uh, the, the celebration of Pride Month is spreading into institutions that aren't even necessarily connected specifically to LGBTQ advocacy um, or issues. You know, things like the Department of the Treasury, or as we've seen today, uh, right, like the, the embassy uh, to the Holy See um, flying a, a pride flag. Uh, so I think that's that's one thing that sticks out. And then I, I read Carl Truman's piece this morning um, over at World Magazine. And I, I think it's very good in that um, he specifically thinks about this idea of uh, Pride Month, the celebration of Pride Month um, in the same context of uh, uh, Christendom coming in um, and controlling space and time with the church calendar. Um, he's basically arguing that what we're seeing is, is sort of a mirrored reflection of that, um, except for uh, issues of um, sort of left-wing uh, 
advocacy issues. Uh, this is why you have uh, the celebration of uh, various uh, identities uh, throughout the year in different months or under certain days. And Pride Month has kind of become um, sort of the capstone of that project, that cultural project is sort of taking over the calendar um, and, and sort of ordering all of time uh, towards this, this um, thing. And I think uh, he makes a lot of really good points. And then his, he's had kind of issues a challenge at the end, which is sort of Christians, what will you do? Um, and I think that's really the question. Um, I think that's, that's really what we kind of are waiting to see um, as we enter this, this kind of strange new world, because um, on the one hand, right. Having a having a banner on your eye calendar seems relatively small in the grand in the grand scheme of things, right? You don't have to look at it. Um, you didn't put it there. It's not like you're sort of complicit in this this idea. Um, but there's this idea that you can't really get away from it, and you you wonder how much of this is connected to things. You know, I remember reading stuff like from Solzhenitsyn um, about you know you put the sign up in your storefront just because it 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 leaves you alone. Um, uh, if you do that people will leave you alone and you don't really have to worry about that. You don't have to really believe it. Um, you just got to sort of say it. Um, and as long as you do that, you can kind of go on living your life. And, you know, I remember when Rodrier wrote in his book, Live Not By Lies, and was kind of pointed to these things. I remember a, a very strong backlash, uh, especially from within the Christian community, basically saying like, hey, that's that's absurd. That's ridiculous. That's not happening. And here we are kind of on, on June 1st, 2022. And it does seem that we are at least moving towards that space. Yeah. One thing we see is the question among a lot of people is should Christians include pronouns in their uh, workplace bios, uh, Twitter bios, um, any place that's public facing? Um, I think the answer is certainly no. Uh, I think we need to be able to explain why that is no. I think that it, that is a concession uh, that there is more than that there are more than two genders. And so I think that that is um Again, as we mentioned before, aware that there are such things as intersex as well in the sense of uh, a, a, a legitimate biological uh, reality. Um, and so, but there is a, as scripture says, there's an intentional creation on God's part of God created the male and female. And so I think that being aware of what that is conceding uh, in an admission. And then also you mentioned the Solzhenitsyn uh, quote. And, you know, one thing I wonder is like, Carl Truman's point of controlling the calendar, you know, as you would say, there are smoke-filled back rooms where people are making these decisions. And I don't know, I don't, I don't have that inclination. I think that there is a, there is certainly an awareness that um, there is an agenda in a post-Christian, post-secular um, world and view of life that is seeking to be um, well, to supplant an old one into place in a new one that is more of the secular worldview of uh, what are our causes and our rights that we want to fight for. And so I think with that, there is a quote that I was reminded of um, by Cormac McCarthy in The Road, where it, uh, it talks about the boy, man with his boy. And in that it says, uh, it talks about him sitting with his son and him tussling his hair and drying it. And Cormac McCarthy says, all of this, like some ancient anointing, so be it evoke the forms where you've nothing else construct ceremonies out of the air and breathe upon them. And what Cormac McCarthy is pointing to in that quote is that we as humans cannot avoid, but 
to make ceremonies, but to make liturgies. And so is there some nefarious background? I, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think that necessarily has to be the case or even need to go there other than like, just to be aware that what our values are, what are, what we think is most important, we will seek to put into a ceremonial calendar, liturgical context for people to acknowledge and to orient their lives around. And so again, the question of Carl Truman of how will Christians respond? What are we going to do? Uh, I think, again, compassion and conviction um, to speak lovingly, but also truthfully um, to support one another and back when Christians who maybe feel pressure in their workplace to put out a, a pride flag. And mm-hmm. why are we not? Why? Because we believe that humanity is more than sexuality for one. And second of all, that there's a right way that sexuality is, um, is given to us and received uh, by God. And so we, um, we ultimately want people to live well and be healthy. And we believe that the only way we can live well and be healthy is by living before God, the way that he has called us to be. Yeah. 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 You know, I think you're, you're exactly right. The idea that, you know, Carl Truman even points to that, that point, what you said about, you know, being more than our sexuality, which is a lot of these sort of cultural holidays, what they tend to do is this, they, they try to simplify everything into sort of a, a single narrative about who you are. And this, this happens in all kinds of, uh, in, in all kinds of um, areas. And so to sort of disrespect or to ignore the celebration or to ignore the ceremony is to sort of ignore the people um, that are attached to it. Um, and therefore makes it scandalous. You know, I think of this in the context, we just celebrated a, an American ceremony on Memorial Day. Um, and part of that ceremony that everyone knows is that the president um, of the United States goes and they lay a wreath at the tomb of the unknown soldier. This is part of our American liturgy. This is what we do to honor the men and women who have died in service to this country. You know, I kind of, you know, I kind of try to, to try to understand people who might be listening to this being like, I cannot believe these guys would not celebrate Pride Month to sort of understand the scandal that's going on here is to th- sort of put yourself in the position of thinking, what if the president had ignored Memorial Day and said, I'm too busy to go lay a, a wreath at the tomb of the unknown soldier? A lot of us would rightfully stand up and say, this is outrageous. Um, but the but the the difference there, right, is what is the telos, what is the end of those ceremonies, right? One is obviously noble and good here, right? Honoring the sacrifices that, that men and women have given um, for their brothers in arms and for their for the, the citizens of this country. The other to celebrate a, a um, misidentified sexuality, um, to, a, to ignore our God-given um, revealed sexuality in scripture. And I think that's where we can kind of make the difference there um, and why Christians should absolutely, as, as um, Carl Truman says here, um, to be able to communicate like, look, we don't put out pride flags. We don't celebrate pride month in this way. Um, and we can, we can do that in a way that's both um, true to our convictions. Um, and I think as everyone would agree, and also a very winsome and, and loving uh, way to our um, LGBTQ neighbors and friends. Yeah. It is an opportunity to, uh, to be firm and loving, like you're saying. And I think um that, that example you made with Memorial Day is really a really good one. Uh, I really like that because um, it is very common in that the, the the promotion of Pride Month is believed to be, in order for this country to be a good country, this necessarily must be the case, whereas for Memorial Day. And there are definitely differences there. Um, and I think that, um, I think another thing to point out here in terms of identity is something Carl Truman does in his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, is that our 
um, we can either receive an identity, uh, be given an identity at birth or seek to create one. And right now we're reading, we're reaching like an apex of created identities and identity needs to be verified in order for us to live and act in the world. Um, we need for other people to affirm it. Um, there are certain identities that I have been given that I'm the son of Sid and Jeanetta Stockdale, that I was born at such and such a place, um, fairly irrefutable, uh, unless I'm a major skeptic that those are my, my real parts to who I am, that I work at ministry state. Um, they're firm. And I don't, I'm not in need so much of other people to validate those, but when they're self-created, um, and incredibly subjective things. And that's the core part. I'm, I'm in need of other people to validate that. And any, any unacknowledgement of that is a threat to my, not just identity, but existence. And so, uh, I think it's part of the reason we're also seeing people get very upset about all of this. Yes. I think you're exactly right. Um, that's, that's a great point. You know, for, for my, uh, for my money, I'm just going to, uh, uh, when I go into DC today and, and for the rest of the month and I see giant rainbow flags flying from government buildings, I'm just going to sit there and tell myself, wow, these guys are really taking their obligations under the Noahic covenant very seriously. Um, and that's, that's how I'm going to choose to, to interpret rainbow flags flying from uh, the white house and other places that they, they really understand God's uh, two kingdom distinction and how they've been given the power of the sword uh, to promote justice uh, and protect life. That's what. I, that's how I'm going to treat it. That is an excellent, excellent <laughs> choice. You, you should, you should propose that. You should go ahead and, and whenever you see someone, just start with that. And we'll- I feel like that would be like either if a good writer could turn that into like a, like a Carl Truman or a Kevin DeYoung could probably turn that idea into a really good piece of satire. But in my hands, it would probably come across as like a really cringy youth pastor piece. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Just plant that idea out there and maybe somebody who's far smarter than me and far more clever can, can run with it. But if it's self-aware, then the cringy is part of the joke, right? (laughs) So just make it self-aware and you're good. Perfect. Um, But then there's another thing that that is somewhat connected to this, and it is this topic of rights uh, as well. And we uh, are running out of time, so we may not have enough time to go fully into this, but uh, Robert, you have, you have thought about this um, more than I have, I think, um, but I think part of this has come up in the wake of the Uvalde, the tragic, horrifying event uh, at Uvalde, which followed uh, Buffalo, another gross uh, tragedy. Um, but a lot of people saying, you know, Christians, you need to be willing to give up your rights. And, and that, I think they mean the Second Amendment, although it's not totally clear, because I think there are other rights that people have called in the past that Christians need to be willing to to give up and surrender Um Freedom of religion also seems to be one that is at least implied at times or to a certain degree in this country. Uh, maybe freedom of speech as well. Um, I don't hear much about uh, right to a trial by peers. I haven't heard many people oppose that, which maybe- Or the right to not have to quarter soldiers. That doesn't. That seems to be a, a one that doesn't I'm, often make the list. You know, whenever my brother comes back to visit me from military, I'm saying, get a hotel, buddy. We got the Third <laughs> Amendment here to protect me. Uh, so, but yeah, Robert, I I wanted to toss that over to you and what you're thinking and, yeah. Um, why, why you think this is important to consider? Yeah. I think you teed up the conversation well, because this obviously the wake of, of all days, not new, um, in our country, we have obviously, um, lived in our lives 
lifetimes, multiple mass shootings like this. And inevitably what ends up kind of happening is we tend to be pretty respectful um, for the first 24 to 48 hours, although that window has severely diminished, I've noticed as of late. Um, we tend to be sort of pretty sympathetic, pretty honorable, honoring towards the, the victims and their families. And then uh, usually about three days after we sort of get into this debate about the Second Amendment. And then um, what I've noticed recently, especially coming out of Christian circles, um, is that this conversation is sort of takes its own sort of evangelical flavor, uh, which instead of having really a debate like the rest of the culture has about the Second Amendment and what it means to write, you know, a right to bear arms and what does that mean? And usually those those conversations get bogged down in questions of, you know, the differences between what a Revolutionary War era musket is to the modern AR-15 or, you know, what policies might prevent these kind of things from happening in the future. Um while the kind of the country has that debate sort of evangelical circles, I've noticed as of late tend to have more of a debate about, well, what does it mean to be a Christian and have rights? Um, doesn't the Bible teach us that we are to give up our rights, that we're to lay down our rights. That's the way that Jesus um, uh, uh, lived. And so therefore we're called to emulate it. So we must be as Christians um, less interested in protecting our rights and more interested in giving them up for the sake of our neighbor. Um, and that conversation has been, I think somewhat tame and, you know, a good conversation and debate at in, in late past times and has now really morphed into, I think, people saying some pretty silly things. Um, and we're not quite understanding uh, the, you know, the role of rights uh, in a, in a uh, body politic, um, the purpose that they serve and, um, you know, where they come from. And I mean, I, I think, I don't want to dominate the conversation here, uh, Will, because I'd like to, to hear your perspective on some of the stuff. But one of the first things that I think of is it's it's really kind of an ignorance of history. I mean, I, we both read uh, Tom Holland's Dominion and kind of the whole point of that book of what he's trying to do is he's trying to demonstrate like, look, you, you can't even have a conversation about rights, God-given rights without Christianity. You know, the, the, the very idea of rights it comes out of sound biblical teaching and that being applied to the public square. Um, and I think that's something that gets missed in these conversations. What kind of, what it kind of ends up happening is we sort of pit rights against the Bible instead of seeing that for many political theorists, the idea of rights is drawn out of scripture, that that is, that that is biblically supported. Um, and that this, this idea that, um, because Jesus uh, told Peter to lay down his sword in the Garden of Gethsemane, that we are told to turn the other cheek, that therefore um, any claim to, to rights um, against, say, the government um, or uh, someone else is somehow not biblical, is somehow not Christ-like. Um, whereas I think if you were to say that to people like um, uh, even somebody in sort of the enlightenment, like John Locke, you know, who sort of represents the sort of the, maybe the most secular of the tradition. I think even someone like John Locke would say, no, 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 hold on a second. Like I'm drawing this straight from scripture. This, this is biblical. Um, and that's, that seems to me to be an ignorance of history more so than anything else. Yeah. You know, I, I'm thinking um, a man is endowed with certain inalienable rights among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, we are called to sacrifice 
you mentioned Memorial Day. People have laid down their lives for this country. There are times where parents lay down their lives for their children, quite literally. There are people who sacrifice their lives to protect someone else. We are called to make a sacrifice. That does not mean that we need to remove or gut that right from uh, from our founding documents at all. That 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 would be silly and absurd. And I think anyone with a fair reading of that would understand that there are limits to life. And in fact, that right to life allows one to sacrifice it freely, which is what we consider loving. And so, you know, I, I think that within these questions is not the willingness to like eliminate rights from the constitution. I don't know how much that would help anything. I think in a more important sense is like, all right, how are we viewing our rights and what we can do with them? Mm-hmm. Are we viewing them as an opportunity to serve, to love, uh, to, to, to strengthen our families, to worship, to have strong churches in a vibrant community, to love our neighbor, to go on missions, to evangelize? You know, are we seeing them as an opportunity to do those things? And that is a proper way because a proper utilization of rights is, is a fantastic way to further spread the gospel in a, uh, again, compassionate and convicting way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you think about the the context of the right to um, uh, life, liberty and property uh, embedded in sort of the American founding. And just think about it historically when you think about, you know, this is a a nation that in many ways is is being birthed out of the British Empire. Um, And, you know, I've recently finished uh, Winston Churchill's history of English speaking peoples. And, you know, the first two volumes of that are really everything in Britain from, you know, uh, Rome to, to the American founding. And what you just read over and over again in the history of the British, British Empire was that if you were a peasant living on the Lord's land, you, you had no rights at any time. The noble could come to you and say, I'm taking your land from you. You're going to be doing this for me. Uh, oftentimes, I think what's probably the most egregious to um, uh, uh, people uh, of all um stripes, all political bents, uh, is this idea that at any moment your noble could come to you and say, you have to go, you know, fill my place in this war um, and potentially get run through by a sword, uh, usually for wars that were very unjust and had no purpose besides uh, building up the uh, the personal glory of, of the monarch. Um, and I think for Americans, and really, I think all people today, we, we kind of look at those things and be like, no, the idea that the government can't come to you and sort of uh, 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 force you to go fight in somebody's stead, um, we kind of look at that in, in sort of these kind of wars. We kind of look at that as like, mm, that's probably a good thing. Um, you know, drafts in our country have, have happened historically, but they've, they've always been a, ne- a sort of necessary evil, not a uh, 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 that's, that's sort of protected against, you know, counterbalanced with the, the right to uh, liberty. Um, I don't think anyone would sort of want to return to sort of pre-natural right days um, where, you know, somebody, because they had more power than you, could just kind of show up and tell you what to do or to take your take your property that, you know, which, you know, is not, when you put it in that context, we sort of think about it as like, oh, well, you're just trying to hoard everything for yourself. And it's like, well, what they were trying to hoard was like enough land so that they could live, so, you know, live on their own and provide for their family where, you know, they could have a good life, you know, raising children um, and attending their church. And I think we often sort of paint the most desperate picture of somebody who's fighting for their rights. 
um, instead of putting in the context of natural rights, the people who benefit the most from these, this idea of God-given rights are the most vulnerable, the most marginalized in the community. Um, and particularly thinking about the gun issue, you know, it, it's just kind of laughable to me to think of somebody who lives in a relatively wealthy, affluent neighborhood uh, where there's not a lot of crime going to many of the people in this country who don't have the privilege of living in such communities where there is rampant gang activity, crime. Um, I'm thinking of places also like in um, uh, the Appalachia area where fentanyl and, and drug addiction and abuse is, is so rampant, you know, going to law abiding citizens there who, you know, rely on, you know, maybe a gun or two in the house to protect their family in case something ever happened, you know, going to them and saying, Hey, you really need to lay, you know, you're really being selfish with your second amendment. Right. Um, we need to be really careful about um, speaking into people's uh, lives like that without knowing necessarily the full picture and, 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 and sort of castigating them as, as uh, selfish, right hoarding, you know, kind of, you know, nationalists uh, instead of people who take advantage of these this kind of God-given rights for the, for the betterment of themselves and their communities. Yeah. I, uh, you mentioned, communities and so many of these issues that we're facing seem to be um, the result of a breakdown of community and um, cultivating. And I, so much of the, the founders conception of rights uh, were not created with a mindset that we were a very virtuous people. Uh, they, they didn't give rights with the mindset that Americans are especially good. In fact, they warned, like, don't think that we're like so much better than Europeans. There was a concern like, uh, that wasn't it. You read James Madison and definitely understand that he did not have a very high view of man. And he's the f- found father of our constitution. Uh, he understood sinfulness uh, very well. And so within that rights, and um, I'm not even specifically talking about the second amendment, I'm talking any of them, um, they are there to hopefully encourage and, and allow for leaders to cultivate and encourage a a virtue within the citizenry and i think as christian men and women uh, and as you and i ministered to young men as we're men i don't know if we're young or old yet i think i'm a geriatric millennial uh, at this <laughs> point but um there is an importance and a call to to uh encourage strength and honor and courage and um uh right living and um, to fend off darkness and to encourage the good. And there's plenty of that to, uh, to call forth. And I, and I, I think, um, I, I think it's, honestly, I think it's a very weighty responsibility, especially in 2022, mm. um, to encourage truth telling and, um, uh, courage is yeah. it's, it's at a premium right now. And, For sure. um, it's hard. I don't want to say that it isn't, but I think, if you look at what we can be doing, it's that, and I don't mean making activists out of us. Uh, I think, um, uh, I think following the model probably of like pregnancy centers uh, again, and how they have gone about um, uh, bettering the communities in which they're in. Yeah. I know I've talked a lot, but can I, can I say a couple more things? Yeah. I don't Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I wanted to say a couple of things connected to this idea of, of rights and, you know, particularly within Christianity. I think one thing that needs to be said on the one hand is that we do have biblical evidence of Paul invoking his rights as a Roman citizen um, for, the, for the furtherance of the gospel. 
Um, I think in the passages like Acts 22, right? Uh, Acts 22, uh, and this is in the story of Paul in front of the Roman uh, tribune. And uh, uh, in verse 28 right here, it says, uh, the tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. Uh, so those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Basically, Paul appeals yeah. to his Roman citizenship of saying like, hey, you can't you can't uh, imprison me without just cause. I'm a Roman citizen. Um, you know, that's not Paul saying, you know, I'm laying down my right here because, you know, I'm not supposed to appeal to them. That's selfish. But what, what Paul is saying is saying, no, this is a, this is. And a tool, this is a resource that I can use in order to continue the furtherance of the gospel. Um, and I think that that's, I just want to say that there is biblical evidence for it. Um, I don't think we would ever want to accuse Paul of being somehow opposed to Christ um, uh, in his, in his actions. Um, I think another thing here, as I've gotten older and I've myself become a parent, um, one thing I just can't help but notice in this this conversation, as in many other conversations, is um, how much we uh, how much we sort of don't appreciate the fifth commandment um, to honor our fathers and our mothers, and that that commandment. If you follow Westminster Catechism, uh, if you uh, draw it out as many theologians have, ethical theologians have, that fifth commandment obviously means more than being uh, obedient to your biological mother and father. Um, it is to also honor your elders uh, in the tribal sense, in the nation, national sense, um, in the church context. Um, and part of the fifth commandment, as it applies to our public life together as, as a, an American country, I think is to not... Um, uh, denigrate the rights that are afforded to us that we have the privilege to have access to because of what our forefathers have done um, to secure them. Uh, uh, I'm going to Arlington Cemetery today, um, which will be a poignant reminder of the privileges that I have in this country um, that have been afforded to me because of the sacrifice that, that many have made um, on our behalf. And I think to, to sit there and to kind of, you know, denigrate these, these rights, I think we really need to take a hard look at the fifth commandment and say, Hey, are we breaking this on, on some of the things that we say? Um, and then the final, the last thing I do want to say is that I, I also can't help but notice that some of this conversation ends up being kind of the 2022 version, not everybody, but at least some of the ways it's articulated ends up being the 2022 version of uh, when people in the early church went out of their way to seek martyrdom. Um, and would look at the martyrs and, uh, and rightfully honor them and glorify them uh, in the way and saying, look, look at what they have done for Christ. Look at what they've done for the church. I want to do that too. Um, and then go out and seek it on, on themselves. And uh, I, I prepare for this podcast. I went back and I, I read a little bit of the martyrdom of Polycarp, which um, is an early church testimony um, to Polycarp's martyrdom. And in chapter four, uh, 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 he says this, uh, but one named Quintus uh, lately came uh, from, I don't, oh gosh, I hate these old Roman names. I never know how to pronounce them. Uh, Phygia, uh, when he saw the wild beast, played the coward. So Quintus is uh, uh, found a coward before 
um, uh, when, when he's fed to the beasts. Uh, now it was he who had forced himself and some others to come forward of their own accord. Him, the proconsul persuaded with many entreaties to take the oath and offer sacrifice. So Quintus essentially seeks martyrdom and then can't do it. Um, he, he chickens out. Uh, and so uh, Polycarp says this, for this reason, therefore, brethren, we do not commend those who give themselves up since the gospel does not give this teaching. Um, the idea is that martyrdom uh, will come upon some of you. And what I tend to get from the scriptures and from the early church testimony is, and in those moments, if you are truly called to be a martyr, the Holy Spirit will, will bind you up. It, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and you will be given holy courage to deal with those issues, um, to deal with that, that conflict. Um, and so what, what Polycarp is basically saying is if you go out and seek martyrdom, you are effectively testing the Lord, uh, which we are explicitly told not to do in scripture. Um, and I think this idea of, well, I need to get, we need to give up our taxism status as a church, or we need to give up our right to religious liberty. We need to give up our right here. Um, to me, it seems to be kind of a 2022 version of saying, I want to be martyred. Um, and we need to make sure that we do not romanticize martyrdom. Uh, what happened to the early church fathers was, and, and, and uh, mothers was terrible and horrible. And we should, we should thank the Lord that we do have an opportunity to live in peace um, and stability, um, that, he has, that he has graciously given us that. Um, and I think we just need to be very careful that we're tempering ourselves on some of these things. Um, and that's kind of, the, kind of my, last, my last point that I wanted to make, because it's just been weighing on my mind so much. Yeah, no, I, um, I think going back to the early church and looking what they have to say to us and how we can learn from them is a good place to land this and cover these these areas of how can Christians approach Pride Month, uh, and then secondly, um, what does it mean to to value rights or what are what exactly are we seeing in those areas? And so I'm glad that we got to discuss this and talk about it and. Um, yeah, give us a space to think, and hopefully this is helpful to people who are listening. But um, with that, we're just thankful to be back with you guys to uh, to record this episode, and uh, we hope that you guys are having a wonderful beginning of summer as um, Memorial Day marked that. It, it feels like full summer here in D.C. and couldn't be more thankful for it. And uh, you can check us out at ministrytostate.org. Um, uh, you can check the uh, like and subscribe to this podcast. Leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, you can follow Robert at Artie Hassler and you can follow me at Stockdale Will. And we look forward to being back with you next week.